are now listening to the Dream Deferred Podcast, a production of Atlas, a community and social design agency powered by the few for the many. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Dream Differed Podcast. I'm your host, Christian Dixon, along with the beautiful Cayman Wade. Hi. Um, before we jump into today's episode, which we had actually recorded mostly uh, before we actually started the <laughs> intro here, um, we wanted to talk about a little bit of uh, controversy going on in Virginia right now, specifically um, how we feel we need to start educating ourselves a little bit more than just on a surface level. Um, we were talking about specifically uh, our current governor, uh, Ralph Northam, was found out to be, uh, as er- former Arizona uh, Cardinals head coach once said, he is who we thought he was. Um, he's not the person that so many of us wanted him to be. Um, but once again, we have to consider the fact that, you know, Everybody in today's society, specifically white men in general, are sheep in, in wolves' clothing. Or other way around, you know what I meant. Um, so with that, we also want to caution people to do a little bit more research when it comes to whether, you know, uh, we're speaking about the resignation of Governor Northam or we're speaking about the potential uh, progression of Lieutenant Governor Fairfax to Governor should... Uh, Governor Northam resigned. Um, he's not necessarily for the people, you know. Uh, same thing could be said about figures in uh, today's pol- political sphere, such as Kamala Harris. If you look at her track record and you actually educate her, uh, educate yourself about people such as Kamala Harris, you'll see that there's a lot more problems than there are solutions waiting in the midst. She might have great branding, she might be black, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we can just go ahead and throw all our support behind her. Uh, Another thing that we wanted to address was the fact that we've been gone for three weeks. We do apologize for that. Um, One of those things was in part due to the fact that I was sick um, and didn't want y'all to have to hear me coughing for 45 minutes. Um, Cayman was ready to go, but... I'm always... I'm always ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> Stay ready so you ain't got to get ready, right? Exactly. Um, but an, another thing uh, with that was in part to the fact that we have been so lucky to have been afforded a grant by the Initiative of Change Foundation um, to be able to go ahead and make a, a little bit more uh, change happen um, than we thought would be possible when we first started this podcast. Um, we won't go too far into that right now. Just know that Atlas Group which puts on this podcast, but more specifically, The Dream Differed, will be making a lot of noise in the coming months and coming years. So, with all that said, let's jump into the podcast. Um, Today, we have somebody with us who was introduced to me as GAM, and I didn't know what the hell a GAM was. I thought somebody was talking about dentures. I thought somebody was talking about some kind of crazy mess. But no, they were talking about... Ashley Williams. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> so what we're going to do instead is today is going to be an open forum. Originally it was supposed to be just Ashley, but as you'll see as we go through this particular episode, um, there's a bunch of different voices jumping in. But first we want to get a little background on Ashley. You're going to hear some weird noises. I'm going to warn you about that right now. I'm making pizza dough. We're having a 
community pizza party. I'm sorry if you didn't get invited. Um, very exclusive. Uh, we're calling it. What was the name you had for it, Kim? Oh, dinner, uh, dinner with, with the dream. Cheers. 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 I'm, I'm a really heavy-handed person. I'm, I'm glad y'all got that good shit. Right. <laughs> Thick. Don't worry, we didn't break anything, I promise. What happened? Nothing? Him and me and Cameron. What? Um, oh. So, Ashley, I didn't really give a good description for anybody on the podcast, except for that uh, your name was Gam in a previous life. I still don't know why that is, but we'll explore that later. So if you could please just... Give the people a little bit about yourself. That'd be wonderful. So a little bit about myself. Um, my name's Ashley Williams. I am from, I'm originally from Prince George, Virginia. Um, PG announced. PG. Yeah, Prince George, Virginia. People mistake that. I was born in Prince George, Maryland. Um, very Two very different places. Um, grew up in Plano, Texas until I was 11 and then... Um, which I, I mentioned that because it played an important role in my life, but grew up in Prince George, Virginia, went to the University of Virginia for undergrad and came back to Richmond. Um, and now Richmond is home. Richmond's very much home. Um, currently I own an organization, a small business called Bear Soul Yoga. And I assume we might talk about that a little bit, uh, later but um i own a small business called bear soul yoga which really integrates yoga and mindfulness and social justice in mental health all in one space uh for community building and making a social impact but i love richmond um i don't think i'll ever move away from richmond bold statement bold it's a bold <laughs> statement right but i mean people have asked me um i travel a lot and um my, my favorite place in this world is South Africa, right? So I could see myself living there. But if anybody were to ever ask me if I were to live anywhere else in the United States, I don't have an answer for that. And so I always come back to the Richmond will be home. Yeah. So what makes you feel like Richmond will be home? Richmond has a lot going on for it right now. And I feel like <laughs> we don't pay enough attention to that. Um, we instead think about, oh, Richmond's a great food city. Oh, it's a great beer city. Oh, we have this and that. But Richmond ain't so great for everybody. Yeah, Richmond is not so great for everybody. And so we have that thing right now that's like Richmond versus RVA. Um, <laughs> and like the historical and traditional Richmond and Virginia history um, versus like the RVA, which is cool, hip, creative, artsy. Mm -hmm. And they're in BCU and, they're, and it's liberal and it's young professionals and it is very foodie and... They're two very different worlds, and I think that's the merging of the two worlds and the understanding of the two worlds that that Richmond brings is what keeps me here. So I am very attracted. Like, I love eating at Richmond restaurants. Like, that's my thing. I love doing social events, which you can see that a lot through kind of like my business. I'm always in engaging in different community organizations or partnering with community partnering with small businesses, partnering particularly with black small businesses in mm -hmm. going any further, black woman-owned small businesses. And because um, there's just a space for that. And so I love RVA, whatever that is, mm -hmm. um, the creative space. And then also the opportunity just to, 
I've been able to really become, uh, no, I'll take that back. I've been able to really create the life that I feel like I would like enjoy and, um, using the gifts and the talents and the education and my personal passions and whatever to create bare soul, to create how I show up in Richmond. And so I think that's the RBA, like artsy space. Mm -hmm. But then you go a little deeper and you have Richmond and you have all this like traditional history and you have racism and you have <laughs> cultural complexes and you have a lot of injustices and I feel really called to be a part of that change using that creative side and using that intellectual and educational side and using um, and just using and just being a part of that. Um, so it's like I don't need to move to a place that like is perfect. Right. I don't know that there is such a place. Um, so Richmond's current history and it's moving and shifting through history and addressing history um, is what keeps me here. So how do we, in your mind, move towards a more perfect vision of Richmond RVA, whatever you want to be a part of, right? Where it's like you have the ability to experience both sides, but not everybody's that lucky. So what in your mind would make it a more equitable, not equal, but equitable version? Um, so I can speak personally. For us to truly engage and enjoy and explore RVA, um, we must first really address the Richmond space, mm. right? So um, RVA is a great place to live socially and it's like a, it's a, it's like a gym, right? Mm. It looks really good on the outside, but Richmond has a lot of unsurfaced history. Um, it has like a, a lot of untold conversation and story um, from about I mean, everything from Virginia's history, right, of um, being in the space where uh, African Africans first came. And, you know, this is a big year for us with the 400th anniversary um, of that even taking place. But, like, we haven't really addressed the racial history and the institutions that have been put in place that have not really served all of Virginia. Mm. And so there's a lot of conversations that I believe that need to be had um, in the Richmond side of things to actually allow us to become more unified and to become more understanding of all Virginians and all of Richmond to explore all of RBA. How do we start those conversations? So, truth, like holding spaces that have truth. So my background and the work that I've done over the past year, so we haven't really kind of talked about what I really actually do, but my practice right now is a yoga therapist and so with bare soul like i said we we do yoga and mindfulness but for me talking about what yoga and mindfulness is it's really a, a practice and a modality for healing mm -hmm. and um one thing that i think is really important is being able to hold space for individuals to hold space for individuals to heal and that can mean a lot of different things and if we talk about richmond and rva uh one of the practices for myself and um, the business that you know I represent and I build is to engage pre people in practices of awareness. So, and practices of self-reflection, um, because I think the more that we know ourselves, the more that we know our own personal story, the, know that, 
the more that we know our own culture, our ethnicity, our background, our history, then allows us to address the the collective issues that we that we hold. So for me and what I do, and I can only really kind of speak to that is creating spaces where individuals can heal their own trauma and heal and understand themselves and their family and their history to then lead to maybe action steps to address the things that are taking place in our community. Yeah. I wasn't prepared for an answer. Uh, Well, no, and so honestly, too, um, if you followed Bare Soul when we first started, so my journey with bare, like my journey with meditation and yoga and and mindfulness came at a place in my life where um, I lost my aunt, and so that and she was, and I always I tell this story only because um, it makes it tells the story of why I do what I do. And so my aunt was a social worker for Richmond. And so she served a lot of individuals that faced inequality and faced injustices based on the institutions and the systems that have been placed um, from housing, from um, employment, unemployment, um, and job security, from um, lack of access to resources. And so, I mean, you think about social worker, but she did it with a space. She did it with an open heart. And so when she passed away, her eulogy was maintain constant love. And so at that time, like, not only was she somebody, a woman that I looked up to that was from, she wasn't from Richmond, but she was from Bowling Green, and um, which is right outside of Richmond, but she served Richmond and she did it with a very, very big heart and actually intentional action um, that made an impact on all the people that she served. And so when she passed away, I really went through a really hard time. And at that point in time, I wasn't like in the mindset of like understanding what was taking place in our world. I just knew that she was a good person. And when she passed away, I actually went in through a space of depression and anxiety. I was also going through a lot of transition between like college and um, like college and job and relationship and all of that stuff at the age of like 24, 25. And when she passed away, like I got into a space where I was just like, what? am I doing like I got I got really disconnected and for me that was a trauma right like that was like that was very traumatic because I didn't understand how to handle it and I completely lost my faith in God I completely lost my faith in like religion and um like one day I asked God I was like hey like you need to figure this out like you need to like show up and his showing up was like leading me to yoga Mm -hmm. right and so I started going to yoga and I started practicing then as time went on, I really felt myself connecting with myself. Um, but I also got into a space where, I mean, in that time I was working with uh, youth and adults that had mental health um, challenges and emotional difficulties in different behavioral um, outpatient spaces. And so when I did that, I was like, well, you know, I feel like I'm healing. Like this is a tool for me, but I was working with individuals that had like trauma and they, the only management of that trauma and the only way they coped was medication. Mm. And for me, that, and it was all, the majority of them were either um, black people or like lower income white people. And um, like, I was like, there has to be a different way. I was like, I'm not on medication. I feel like I'm at the lowest point of my life. And so I started practicing and because I saw that healing in me, then I started bringing it into the spaces that I worked with. And I got a job with the Department of Juvenile Justice and started doing mentor program coordination for the state. 
and working with youth that were incarcerated and committed to the state for really long periods of time. And so my intention as a mental program coordinator was not to, uh, not to match individuals with jobs because I really thought that like even our job and our career, like it's just like systematic. And so I needed to really make it more about, um, encouraging individuals to, to connect with themselves and gain a social identity, um, especially in the black, like, especially black males and black females. Um, and that's kind of where that all came about. And so then I just started practicing yoga. I started, I went and got my yoga teacher certification. Um, and then I went to grad school for yoga therapy. And so my background is really, yeah, so I didn't either. I had initially wanted to go into clinical psychology. And at this point in time, being the black female that's educated and every other thing that does all the things and like our society tells us to be all the things I was like I'm gonna be a clinical psychologist and I'm gonna go to grad school and I'm gonna get dead and I'm gonna do all of these things and it would have looked really good on paper but um I think my practice of yoga and that practice of self-awareness was like actually that's not for you like you that's not what you want to do if you do it it's for accolades and all that stuff in hindsight like I think right now I could potentially have like gone and done that and I would have been more open to creating a life around that but in that time it was just going to grad school because the next step was going to grad school right like we have these lists of things that we're supposed to do or that we should do um and I was like oh I kept looking to programs I started about to apply and I just didn't feel right doing it and then I found the Masters of Science um, program for yoga therapy. And it was the only one in the country, really the only one in the world outside of one that was in Australia that was in Maryland at Maryland University of Integrative Health. And it was a degree seeking program, which was different from just like a certification program. And because I wanted to, I was working in the government then, I realized that our system recognizes education over experience. Mm -hmm. So having a master's in yoga therapy meant more to me than having a certification or would allow me to do more work. Mm -hmm. So um, I did that from 2015 to 2017. What is that, what is that given to you? Yoga therapy? Yeah. So yoga therapy is um, the practice of using the tools of yoga um, and the philosophy of yoga, tools being movement, meditation, breath work, um, mudras, mantras, philosophy, all of that to empower an individual to heal themselves through the practice of like self-awareness. Mm -hmm. And um, my program was very science-based. And so at the time, the focus of my program was how to use Eastern medicine and use yogic tools within institutions. So like our health, like our Western healthcare system. And so that really, really intrigued me because to speak the language that's used within our Western medical or Western health system um, and to integrate Eastern practices like yoga and meditation and mindfulness and put research behind it was really like, this is the key to, not the key, but it's definitely important to be able to do that. And so um, that's the basis of the program. That's, that's what yoga therapy is. You can do it more so individually. Um, it's, it's an individualized practice, but small group as well. And so right now, as I practice yoga therapy, I do it in a couple different ways. So I do see individual clients that I work with um, for certain periods of time to, um, we do assessments and then we just kind of talk about what's taking place in their lives. And it could be 
their inlet could be a physical challenge like multiple sclerosis or like chronic pain or stress or or it could be emotional like anxiety or depression or trauma um it could be mental it could be spiritual like they just feel disconnected from a higher power it could be anything um but we work together just to kind of give them tools to integrate in their everyday life and honestly it's a partnership because um we're not here to fix anybody we're just here to guide people to their best selves whatever that means but like authentic self like their actual self outside of the experience that take place in our lives and the second part so working beyond individually um so one of my biggest things right now and biggest intention is that individual awareness is important for collective change and collective awareness and so our own individual stories play an impact collectively um, but the majority of the work happens within school systems and government agencies and institutions that work directly and serve our community directly. Um, so building programs such like yoga and mindfulness programs within those institutions um, has been something that has been a huge part of my work and um, the work of Bear Soul uh, to change the climate and the culture and transform the environments in which our institutions run and operate. And so right now what we're seeing is the awareness of racism or systematic um, or the effect of uh, institutional systems on individuals and uh, different cultures, uh, different races, different ethnicities, different socioeconomic levels. And so I truly believe the more aware you are as an individual um, definitely influences how you operate mm -hmm. and the systems that you support and or don't support. And so that's a huge huge work so right now in Richmond and the surrounding areas we're doing a lot of professional and personal development with like school teachers um, we're doing a lot of personal professional development within government agencies and admin mm -hmm. to create more mindful and culturally sensitive We'd like to thank Keller Wilson for providing the original sounds for this podcast. Follow him on Instagram at Keller Wilson Design or view his website by going to KellerWilson.com. That's K-E-L-L-O-R Wilson. We'll be back in a second. Well, no, that's why I said, I was like, what do we get? We don't, like... Right. We're, we're going to be in either the same situation or a worse situation. We just get another... I, I think at this point, a lot of the stuff that we're calling for, like, people get hyped. They're they're more hyped than they are upset about... They're my hype about that. Yeah. Just so like the impeachment. It's, exactly. It's one of those things where it's like... I don't we want, want Mike Pence so my president. Mike Pence would literally ruin, I think, America works in Trump. I have an opinion that Mike Pence is done. the literal antichrist. He's got to be because of what he's done in Indiana. Like, have he's you seen... A have terrible... See, movie. I don't know anything about Demo politics. He's I a domestic terrorist. So, like, I'm angered by just, like, the small shit that ha yeah. happens on the micro yeah. level that, like, the macro level seems very important to, like, focus on. Right. But I see it and I'm like, I don't have time to be bothered with this shit right now. I was yeah. just like... It needs to be from like a micro level to change the macro level. Mm -hmm. That's kind of where my prediction is. It's I think it is very much top down. Mm -hmm. But right now, that top is like too far out that of reach because right our <laughs> even inner workings of our politics is like crazy. Like it's the same thing with like just with Northam right now. We're asking him to resign, but I'm like, what the fuck does that do? We're asking him to right. resign when we have the for the country 
is ruled and manned by this person that did it deliberately and intentionally. I think a lot racist. of it is coming from people who didn't agree with him being elected in the first place. Yeah. And so that they're still upset about reason. that. And they're yeah. like, I am validated. Get this yeah. guy out of here. But I'm not thinking it through. Right. If you're thinking about it from a logical perspective, what are you gaining from this person stepping down? How long do we have until the next yeah. election? You know, th- th- like, there's a lot of things to consider. And I am not a Ralph Northman apologist. I don't necessarily think that he's done that much for... Black people. Yeah. Right. Well, so, he hasn't. He's done everything for, like, um, like... Uh, the middle class. Yeah. But then even <laughs> just, like, agriculture and, like... Right. Education. Like, you see him at those things. But right. he... I mean, it's our 400th anniversary of bringing enslaved Africans to or Africans to Virginia yeah. and this is a big year for us like big year for Virginia and he hasn't mentioned or said anything right and you're not about that see, and not he's not gonna say anything like yeah right. anything about it because they don't want to get ruffle any feathers and yeah they want to be on like the safe side of history right they don't want to yeah. be on the part that like they don't like to bring that up they you're not gonna see it, exactly look that yeah. you're you not know. gonna see any like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is like of in Virginia, you're just not yeah. because they know once you step over that boundary, there's no coming back. Yeah. I mean, but it's just like that's why Beto work was such a problem in Texas, mm-hmm. and why somebody literally tried to kill him because he is very honest and he's very open. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if he did get to a higher platform, which is why he didn't in the first place, I feel like if he did get to a higher platform, he would speak on a lot of problems that Texas have has has excuse me, which they do. Texas has a lot of a lot of problems. Yeah. A lot. I've studied a lot of Texas law. It's very interesting. That state is really fucked up. Yeah. yeah. I grew up in Texas. I grew up in Texas until the age of really? 11. I'm so sorry. In Plano, Texas until 11. I was the only black, like, we, I was only black in my neighborhood until another family moved in. They were African. Seriously. The only, one out of two blacks in my class mm-hmm. up until, like, I had moved. Um, And just, like, when I, even when I go back, I can definitely just see the like the racism and stuff. But I was just telling him, like, I feel like <laughs> the racism that's even just like with just in Richmond, which is tons, I see it in all the institutions that I'm working with in. Yeah. And that is just like it's the It's absolutely mind blowing. It's yeah. very but it's very different. Very different. I also used to live in um Jacksonville, Florida, mm-hmm. which is along the Florida Georgia line. Mm-hmm. And the that's deep south. Yeah. And the racism there is a different flavor. It's in your face racism. It's not under the covers racism. You know what I mean? So That's crazy. it's 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 very different than what you you see here. Here yeah. it's but here it's definitely more institutionalized, like you said. You know, it's it it, it, it argu- argumentatively it, it affects us more here yeah than it would there you yeah. know what i mean because they're like more individual like you're saying it's more individual right and the fact that it's even in institutions and stuff it's just not like there's their institutions aren't being questioned right and exactly. any way to reform exactly and here it's like people are getting like okay like this is what's happening with our institution people are trying to like fight for it right and so the fight for it is bringing out the fear of it right. which is just causing a lot of like <laughs> no, it's it's really a, a, a big problem. I mean, I I lived in Virginia when I was little. Actually, I lived in the seven five until the third grade. Mm-hmm. I want to say, um, so like pre K to third grade. Um, and when I moved back, I mean, when you're a child, you just don't realize things. But when yeah. I moved back here, and looking at how the systems are set up, how the neighborhoods are set up, how 
schools are set up, um, mm -hmm. how the jobs are set up. You ever notice that all the good jobs in Richmond are in short pump? Oh, yeah, yeah. But like the blue collar jobs, you know, yeah. the ones that you don't necessarily need a degree for. Or, yeah. So if you don't have a car, you probably don't have a good job. Yeah. And I know that firsthand because when I first started working at T-Mobile, I used to have to catch an Uber every day because I didn't have a car. Mm -hmm. So like I, you know, like that in itself and the fact that most black people are concentrated on the South Side and mm -hmm. Chesterfield and, and Eastern, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like you do not have that access to the job. And, right. like, and then they put in the, what is that thing called? The pulse? Yeah. To like oh say yeah. that it's to connect people to jobs. I'm like, no, it actually starts at Rockets Landing, one of like the, the more wealthy people. You're getting people to their jobs that they already have. Right. And there's only one stop in short month. Yeah. A single one. Just yeah. one. Yeah. It's insane. Oh, we sorry. probably should be recording. We are recording. Oh, great. Oh, really? <laughs> 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 Actually, this is you you know. I haven't. Hello. 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 But my mom goes, she was going on this like date or something. And I was like, well, mom, where are y'all going? She was like, we're going to go see Jesus. And I was like, what? Where, what do you mean you're going to go see Jesus? She's like, I didn't mean like that. God, I'm so sorry. Not like it. But she meant she was going to Pennsylvania to go see those like Jesus plays oh, or Christian plays like okay. in the Amish country like, or something. I was like, oh, I was like right. what are you going to do? You got to do what you got to do. I was like, um, you cool. leaving us? That would have freaked me out from perspective. Then, like, my mom is hardcore Christian. Oh, no, like, she would be like, too. oh, I'm dying. Like, 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 I know. That's almost like, what? She's like, oh, God. Like, what do you mean? My mom said that. I'd be like, all right. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, like, have fun. Like, like, yeah. Have going on. Bring me back some sandals. Yeah, like, what's up? Wow. Some robes. You know, I know this is really off topic, but I've been wanting to, like, share this with a group of people for a really long time. Yeah, right. Right. she said this. So, I've been doing a lot of research on the Bible lately because, mm -hmm. so, today's my mom's birthday, God rest her soul. My mm -hmm. mom left me a Bible, and we were, I was baptized Catholic, I don't think I ever told you that, but I was, like, confirmed and everything. I did the whole Catholic schoolgirl mm -hmm. thing. Um, don't worry, nobody touched me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Here's the hard part, do I edit that out? <laughs> but I decided to take it upon myself to reread the Bible. You have to read the Bible, like, cover to cover to be confirmed. Like, it's just, you mm -hmm. have to go through, like, it's like a year of classes on the Bible. I'm good, love. It Enjoy. <laughs> but I decided that I wanted to start reading it again. And so, um, I have, so it's a New King James Version Bible. And I started noticing that the devil when mentioned in the Bible isn't mentioned as a certain person. Mm -hmm. It's mentioned as either persons or as an entity, right? Mm -hmm. So, and there's also no description of the, the devil in the Bible. There is none. It does not exist. Mm. So, I started doing some research and some digging, and I found this really great book called Who is the Devil? And it's by this professor. She works for Harvard now. Um, and she, her, I guess her thesis to get her doctorate was about the devil mm -hmm. and how the devil became this, you know, horns, tail, Thing that we picture in our head. So the Bible actually never describes the devil. It's not the devil doesn't actually exist. Yeah. But the 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 devil is a force. It's mm -hmm. not like a person. It's more of a 
anything contrary to God. So uh, I guess that's kind of why Christians tend to say, like, the devil is in this or whatever, you know, because it's more of a, a force. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, the devil was, I can't remember what book it was, but the devil was used, the word devil was used to describe a whole army at one point in the Bible, which mm-hmm. is really interesting. But the uh, invention of the devil as a person, as like this little thing that chases you around and tells you to do bad things, was actually created by Martin Luther. You know, the dude Catholic, who, yeah. or no, not uh, Lutheranism. Yeah. That was yeah. His, <laughs> oh, that right. sounds, with the yeah. nail to the Which, door. Yeah. So he's actually Paid the person in history. who invented it, and he got the description from the Book of Revelations, which describes a monster mm-hmm. and a fiery pit along with the you know seven-headed monster and blah 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 mm-hmm. so that's where he got the description from and all of that art from the devil actually originates from that time period all of it there has been no like pitchfork and all that stuff yes that's crazy. there's been nothing found before that to represent the devil so it was literally just a figment of somebody's imagination yeah. story and then we got trump <sighs> yeah. yeah real talk and pence the antichrist Yes. The Antichrist is a real thing, though, by the way. The Antichrist is in the actual Bible. I don't really prescribe to any particular religion, but it was very interesting. Yeah. Shout out to my mom. I mean, it's good to have that awareness. Yeah. Like any, I mean, I think with my religion, so I was raised Christian, and then I was like non-denominational, mm-hmm. and then I started going to a Baptist church. But right now, I'm very much just spiritual, mm. and um, there's a integral yoga which was founded by Swami Sachin Dananda, he says, truth is, uh, past or many, truth is one. And so that's like my religion. Because if you go to like his ashram and his theory and his philosophy, is that all religions are are the stories of um, truth and love and light. But that's really true. Yeah, and so if you look at all the documents and the books and the doctrines, if you, like they are all saying the same exact thing. Very similar. Yeah, they're very similar. So he has literally every religious doctrine in this shrine, and then at the top of it, there's just a light, and it's just that like all the there's so many paths that we can take, but all of our paths are leading us to like light and love and like unconditional truth, right. and um, so that's been kind of my like philosophy when it comes to religion. I mean, even if you look at more ancient religions like Hinduism or yeah. Norse mythology or Greek mythology or Roman mythology, even they tend to also morph into one god. Although yeah. they have many deities, they're mm-hmm. all represented by this one person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even religions that are polytheistic, they're really still talking about the same thing. Yeah. Which I think is fascinating. I would really like to know why. I'm not going to study religion, though. Probably, actually, that's a lie. I'll probably study it when I'm like 60 and British and kind of college <laughs> tuition. I'm in a... Yeah. Religion class right now. Yeah, how oh, where? Uh, St. Leo online. Okay. Going back to my bachelor's. Are you doing your homework? Yeah. I actually finished some like today. <laughs> you know, got lots to do tomorrow, but you know. On a Sunday? Yeah, I ain't doing nothing else. Ain't doing nothing else. Y'all seem like doing a bowl right now. Where'd I get this from, Lena? Marsh. Yes, I like it. But yeah, I just thought that was so fascinating, guys. Especially the way that like modern Christians, uh yeah. specifically Southern Baptists, like rail on the devil being like this person who speaks to you and all this other craziness. Mm-hmm. It's, it was fascinating. 
Also, the Bible is very interesting, you guys. You should read it sometime. Yeah, no, I did a thing like a span a few years ago where I just, like, I used to, my morning routine and ritual was to wake up and just pick a part of the Bible. So I didn't have like a specific like space that I was going to, but I might read like a book or something that, and if it resonated with me one day, then I would go back to it to the next, but I would literally just open my Bible and go to a message. And I felt that was like spirit leading me to like the so message that I needed and what I was supposed yeah. to read. So not being too like method, uh, was it methodical, methodical, methodical about it. Yeah. So, um, but that really worked for me. I just liked yeah. it because it, it reads like a novel in a way. It's a telling of a story, but it's really a bunch of stories kind of put together, which you can kind of tell. Also, there's this yeah. like super cool conspiracy theory that like, and it make well, it makes sense. Oh, I'm sorry, but it makes sense that there's like five missing books in the Bible. Yeah. But it makes sense when you read it. When you read it all together, there's like huge like jumps in the Bible. And I'm just, like when I read about it, I spent too much time online. But when I read about it, I was like. That makes sense. I've never actually read the Bible. Yeah. You should do really? it. Yeah. It's so interesting. I mean, yeah. when you read it from a more objective point of view, though, it does sound a lot more like mythology. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really interesting. You'd be really surprised how well they talk about women in the Bible, too. Yeah, Which I guess yeah. you wouldn't expect. I like, never like... have read it like a day in my life. <laughs> I mean, I went. I grew up in the church. Ladies and gentlemen, if you couldn't tell by now, we have a, uh, one of our previous guests joined us. Nicholas <laughs> Bailey is in the house. Brought the good wine. Yes, drinking good a wine. good drink. Oh my god, did you guys see that video from New York today? No. Somebody took a, a video outside of one of New York's prisons. And it was literally like the, uh, the prisoners... Like calling out for help because they have no heat. So they're like out the window. Like our prison system is. That's the one thing that I want. That's where my practice started was in juvenile justice, and the prison system is definitely an institution that needs to be addressed. But oh, yeah. it's ran through by capitalism. So something really fascinating about the modern prison system. It was actually an American invention. Um, it was invented during the colonial period, but yeah, it was still a you know an invention, and it it seems like at yeah. least you know looking back to history years written by the victors, but it seems like it started with all the good intentions, and it was started by a church, which is the interesting. Part was it started by a church? It was like monks founded the first the first prison. Oh, I've never heard that history. Um, but it was really cool. In America, yeah, I listened to a podcast on it. It was. Really interesting because I I had no idea like the the story that I had heard is that it was founded by some corporation like or c company yeah um, but well, it's backed by corporations now yeah private owned but apparently like when it first started the idea was just to keep the prisoners busy enough and rehab them so that they can reenter society which sounds nice enough and I guess why not put them to actual work and pay them something mm -hmm. while they're there but then it kind of morphed into this bastardized version of well, let's just take all of your free will and yeah. slave labor because like i watched um june 13th no 13th 13th did you watch the movie yeah, yeah. but but the initial what is it the oh. initial prison system which was when slavery ended right popped up as places where um, like 
class slave owners or whites could then lease slaves. Right. And so then I'm assuming like that's where the capitalism part like oh, yeah. really took over. For sure. Um, and then the error, like Reagan's error. Yeah. Well, beyond. So a lot of people don't like to talk about, about um, the Clinton's administration and their I know. in the industrial. That's why I was so time. surprised in the in 13th. You know, I had our, not our known that. black president? Yeah. You know, that guy. <laughs> um, like realizing that he like actually made it. Worse, like he's the one. He's the reason why, he like, massive incarceration, like, reinforced it. Right. He reinforced everything that Reagan set forward as an idea, and then yeah. he made it into a law. A law. But the reason why he did it is interesting. I, I, in my opinion, from the research that I've done, he did it more so to gain more votes with Republican voters. He did it because there was pressure on him and the Democratic Party as a whole for being quote unquote light on crime, and so this was his way of, on quote unquote being hard on crime and mm -hmm. trying to win over those voters. But it's like, in my opinion, I would never do something as a politician that actually put lives in danger if it meant yeah. getting more votes. Yeah, but that's politics and that's the part that makes me angry. Yeah, for sure. And then especially as like, I think as trans people become more visible, it seems like they're becoming less visible in the prison system too, which is a big issue for me. I hate hearing stories of people being sexually assaulted in prison because the prison refuses to house them in the proper housing, you know? Yeah. Or even even if you won't transfer this trans person to a women's prison, separate them mm -hmm. from the general population because you know that their life is in danger. You know, if you'll separate people who are literally on death row... You then, should separate people. Right. Because of their... Yeah. Also, did you know that um, putting somebody to death costs more than housing somebody for mm -hmm. life? Yeah. Just... I'm super anti the death penalty just mostly yeah. because the air the margin of error is vast yeah. and mostly affected. Who are we to control people. the life of somebody? Right. If you're gonna make murder a crime, why would you kill somebody, kill somebody. for killing somebody? But yeah. the drugs to do that are what like they're extreme, but they're also extremely inhumane. Yeah. yeah. The only they say thing, that you don't feel it. You feel no. They do thing. because they don't give you a pain medicine. They give right. you yeah. a paralytic. You can still feel everything. You just can't move. I mean, do you know, Did you see that that prison that has all the power out right now? Like the power's been out since like. Uh, Is that the one with the New York? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, New York. Yeah, power's been out since Saturday. Like no heat. So they have like, no heat. That's true. Yeah. They yeah. haven't given them uh, like clean, like sanitary shit. Either. So they haven't given them any extra blankets. Nothing. Just nothing. Since, since Saturday. Just. In, and mind you, you think it's cold here? In New York, with this cold front right now. Come on. The cold ass walls in there, it's, they freezing. I don't know, man. This is actually only, other than, of course, excluding third world countries, this is really the only first world country that treats prisoners without any humanity. Like, we're also, so did you know? Oh my god, I can't believe this. I actually found this out in a really sad way, but do you know that in Austria, if you commit a crime and you're sentenced to less than 15 years, once you serve your prison sentence, it's sealed. Like, it doesn't affect you at all. Yeah. yeah. Well, we in Spain, uh, you should look up. So you know, we'll soccer. Yeah. So a, lot of, <laughs> a lot of soccer players, like, they don't pay their fucking taxes, right? Of course. So, like, Spanish players, you know, many of them get, they have to go to court, they get sentenced to two years in prison, right, for tax fraud, right? But in Spain, I think it's some, they get sentenced to, like, a year and 300 in, like, 60 four days. Yeah. If you get sentenced to two years or more, you have to serve time. If wow. you get sentenced to less than two years, you don't have to serve time. <laughs> so they, they sentence them to a year 
And that's why, okay. So they never to prison, right? That's it's, it's like a messy case. Why is he not going to jail? Why is he still playing right now? He's technically guilty and he was sentenced, but it's a, they call it like a suspended sentence. Wow. So the only way you have to serve that time is if you actually get in trouble in the next, like, Oh, like two he, years. it's kind of like being on parole. It's almost of. like like a probation parole yeah. kind of thing, right? Yeah. Without ever actually having to go to jail, but they purposely sentence them to a time for where they don't have to, even and, though they blatantly like this. And there, there's different ways that people house like prisoners too, like in um, the Netherlands and in Sweden and parts of Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, the housing is more like it's almost like those things go into summer camp. Like they live in a house. It's four to a home. They can go out during the day. They can have regular jobs, you know. But you're being monitored so that you don't commit a crime again, and you are separate from society. So they do put you into a more remote area. Yeah. So like, let's say you are a, uh, let's say you're a rapist. You know, you're yeah. you're sentenced to. Uh, I think, like, the max sentencing that they do in the Netherlands is 15 years. I'm pretty sure. Um, so you're sentenced to 15 years. You'll be housed by yourself in a more remote area. You won't be allowed mm-hmm. contact with women. And you can work, but you have to have a monitor with you. So, like, a parole officer, but someone who follows you around all the time. But I think that's more humane. And when that person is done with their sentence, they're more ready to integrate back into society. Yeah. They know what it's like to wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning, get dressed, and go to work. And they have freedom enough to move around. And they'll be grateful when they are done having that person attached to them. It actually, they send them to counseling and everything. Like, in my opinion, prison should be for rehabilitation. That's the idea. Right. Yeah, that's the idea. But we literally, as just like, um, with the juvenile correctional system, system like I worked for them from 2012 until 2015 but I still work with them mm-hmm. and so in 2013 2014 they implemented a system to become less punitive and more rehabilitative um and so they they, they changed their titles they started calling the um the youth that were incarcerated like residents they like gave them more identity like more community activities that build social skills and things like that but I'm not sure like the idea for it to be more rehabilitative is a good intention, but still the efforts behind it didn't actually make it. Like they became programs yeah. and to be a rehabilitative, you actually have to have like relationship right. and you have to actually like provide be resources personal. and be personal. Yeah. And so the intention had been there, but I don't think they actually like, Im- they're not, Im- they're not implementing correctly. it in a way they're still implementing, implementing it in like a system right. type of a way. Um, so you see some benefits, but you don't see, the actual intention and impact that I think that it could. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been another episode of the Dream Differed podcast. We appreciate you tuning in for the last nine episodes, this being the ninth episode and final one of season one. Um, We have a little bit of a surprise for you next season. After we take a break, we'll be jumping over to a few of our good friends in Texas, the entrepreneurial capital of the world currently, to take a deeper look at how minorities and people of color operate in spaces to make their dreams come true. But right now we want to thank Ashley, who has been such a wonderful ray of sunshine on this dark night.
Yes, um, thank you so much for coming through and blessing us with. And thank you guys for listening and sticking with us through all the technical and the bumps and the road. And the guys... smoke detector, the dog barking, <laughs> the people in the background. You guys have been the best audience, and we look forward to delivering you guys the most quality content we can. And this has been the Dream Deferred. I'm Kaymen. I'm Christian. And I'm Ashley. Thanks, y'all. See y'all next season.